Happy Father's Day to you fathers out there. This is special for me always, considering what I'll be preaching on this morning. As you can see on the screen, being justified by faith in Jesus Christ is why I can celebrate a Father's Day like today, because my father put his faith in Jesus Christ for his, sa- for his salvation, and that is the only way to do it. And you're going to hear that today. You're not going to hear that from me. You're going to hear it from the Word of God. And um, so as I think of Father's Day and, and I consider honoring my father, I consider who my father was, it's the heavenly father I really consider, and how he was pleased to crush his son for me and for you. And so as we consider that and we consider the, the uh, impact of that incredible moment in human history, I pray that uh, we dedicate this time to the Lord. So if you'd bow in prayer with me as, as we Uh, bring the Lord into this and ask for his help as we study his word. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise your name. Already today in our first hour, we heard the incredible love that you had for us. This idea that all we could bring to you was our sin, but you brought us righteousness through your grace by faith and your completed work on the cross. What a beautiful thing. And we thank you for that. It's not us first. You first loved us. And as we consider today some very heavy passages, we consider today getting rid of all the distraction and focusing on what really matters eternally, what really makes a difference for every life, and that is salvation through your Son. I pray that we can see that today, that for those here who have not yet heard it, or maybe have heard it but have not yet responded We know that you're the author of salvation. We know that you are the instigator of salvation. We know that it is only when you draw someone to yourself that they can be saved, and we pray for that in spades today. I pray that those who have heard the gospel today, who have not yet responded, that will respond in humility and repentance and in faith. And for those of us who have, and who have maybe been walking with the Lord a long time, I pray pray that it will be a renewed spirit within us, a rejuvenation a remotivation to do what we're called to do, be ambassadors, carrying on this message of life, of salvation, of love, that we bring this, that it's going to be spoken through us. And I pray that we are those hands and feet, that we are those who preach the gospel according to Romans 10. And you're, we know that you've called us blessed for that. We love you, Lord. Be with us now as we worship together and in studying your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So justified by faith in Christ, you're thinking, I've heard that before. I've heard that at this pulpit before many times. And I would say, I agree, I have too. Because this church preaches the word of God and it does it every week. And how blessed it is that we've been able to have that as an opportunity for so long, for so many years. And hopefully today too. But you might think, well, why are we doing this again? Well, number one, it's next. And that's what we do. It's next. Okay? But number two, I think... Martin Luther gives it to us pretty straight. He says this, and I love this quote, Every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. <laughs> and I, I kind of understand that. And I, as many of you know, I'm not a pastor or a preacher. I'm a teacher. I teach teenagers for a living and will do as long as God allows me to, as long as this world allows me to. And I have to believe and I know that this is true I've got to stick to this. 
I've got to continue to preach the gospel. I have to continue to preach justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not just to teenagers, but that's my passion, as you know. But to anyone who I encounter. Because that's all that matters in life. And I know I'm hearing amens in that. I know because that happened to you and that, that changed your life as well. And it makes me think of John's purpose for writing his gospel. And although we're not going to be in this passage today, please feel free to go to John chapter 20. I'm going to read it to you. And we won't hang on this, but let me just say this. As your Bible teacher, not your pastor, but your Bible teacher, and I say this to my teenagers, I'll tell you what my purpose in life is. I'll tell you what my motivation in life is, and it lands right here with John's desire and his purpose for writing his book. And this is what John says, and I know you're there now. I can hear those pages turning. John says this in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Oh, the disciples gave us many things. His, his fulfillment of prophecy, his miracles, his teaching, his love, his wisdom, his rebuke and correction of the Pharisees, as we'll hear today, of Judaizers, we'll hear today. All of these things but point to what John saw when he saw Christ walking, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But look at what John says, verse 31. But these are written, the Word of God. Let me say it this way. The Word of God is written for this. This is the paramount piece is written for this, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You might say, you should just walk off the stage, that's enough. You're right. You're right. I'm not going to, but you're right. But believing in his name, you may have life. Whose name? The only Son of God. God incarnate. God in the flesh. God with us. That is the purpose of my life. That is the purpose of why I teach. That is why I'm amongst junior hires and high schoolers all the time. If you're wondering, you're deranged. No, I'm not. I'm changed. I'm motivated because of what happened to me. A passage I keep, and this is a kind of a beat-up piece of paper that I always keep in my Bible to remind me every school year why I do what I do. And let me share it with you. Paul says this is his sentiment, and the reason I can connect to it because I have the same spirit he did And you do too if you're in Christ. And he says this, I preach the gospel and that gives me no grounds for boasting. I have no grounds for boasting. There's nothing in me. There is absolutely nothing in me. Dave Krumbacher this morning quoted uh, Jonathan Edwards and says, you know, we, we do bring one thing to the gospel show and it's our sin. If you can boast in your sin, that's one thing. But I have nothing to boast in. But look at what he says. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, if you're wanting to jot it down, necessity is laid upon me. I stand here today and anywhere else I speak because necessity is laid upon me. What some would interpret that as being a divine compulsion. I must, I have no choice. You feel it. Christian, you feel it. I have to. It's laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I keep that in my Bible. Reminding me of the passion that I should have, that I have to have, that I must have as I consider these things. I was recently criticized, and I've been criticized for a lot of things, and many of them are good and right, and I need to continue to learn from them. But one of them, a criticism from a parent, was, you know, Mr. Johnson, you preach salvation too much. I'm not kidding. This is exactly what happened. And 
you make the kids memorize too much scripture. I'll take those sort of criticisms. I'll take that kind of a criticism. And, and uh, that's constructive and, in it, and then it's motivating, that it's something that I consider important. Okay, so as we go forward, a quick review of what we've seen in Galatians so far. What a rich text, right? Galatians, this first epistle that Paul writes, a unique epistle in that it is, it is addressed to multiple churches in a region of Galatia. And what we've seen thus far in this, in this incredible book is his purpose for writing it. And if you're, in, and I do would, would like you to turn to Galatians chapter 2 to the, today, but if you're going there and you look at Galatians chapter 1, we've covered this already, but what Paul is going to establish is his authority as an apostle, the authority of the gospel, and that's the only reason that apostles had authority, was so that they could proclaim the gospel. It's the only reason I would be gifted or anyone else would be gifted to teach the word of God is to build up the saints to proclaim the gospel. But here's what Paul says. His purpose in writing this rich text, this important text, is this. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. Accursed. Devoted to eternal destruction. Heavy-duty stuff. In the Greek, this is big. We don't change the gospel. And I'll just give you a preview of what we're seeing today. We need to be careful to never change the gospel. What do I mean by that? Add something to it. Add something to that that's on our wall over here, or take something away from it. You see the words here. You're accursed if that happens. To the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, repeating it, double downing on it. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, devoted to destruction. Paul's focus is my focus, and it should be your focus. Preach the pure gospel. That's what we hear here. And we've been blessed with it. That's what we've seen. Continuing on this review of what we've seen so far, as I mentioned, Paul validating and authenticating the message, Paul defends his call as an apostle. And he does so very well and eloquently. And we know he learned from God himself, called by Jesus himself, saw Christ on the road to Damascus, this incredible, miraculous encounter where Paul didn't save himself. He didn't justify himself. God did that changed his life, and his motivation is the same as ours, I pray. And he defends his call as an apostle to the Gentiles and the danger of false teaching, and that's what we've seen up to this point. And then, he, as we saw last week in that incredible message we heard last week, that he confronts Peter to his face because he was getting in the way of this perfect, pure, genuine, eternal gospel. Dangerous place to be, right? And so Paul then confronts Peter publicly for supporting those, just subtly supporting those who were adding to the gospel, these Judaizers who we'll look at one more time this week. And that would hold them back potentially. Now what's beautiful about all of this, as we consider the review and we consider what Galatians has shown us thus far, is God's in control, right? His providence overrides everything, right? God is in control of salvation. He's in control of your life. He's in control of who you encounter, who you don't encounter, what you do next, what you want to do and what you aren't going to do. He's in control of it all. What is our job? To do his will, the very next right thing according to his will. And when we stumble and when we fall, we repent and we come back and we do the very best that we can because we love him, because we're motivated by this. So here's what we're going to see in these passages In Galatians chapter 2, which is where you will be now, what we will see in these passages is this. 
justification by faith alone. Should preach the whole thing on that, and guess what? I might. We may not get past one. Pastor Kevin and I talked about this. And he said, I don't know if you're going to get back. You probably won't, but that's okay, because if I landed there and stayed there for two, three, four hours, that would be just fine. That would be just fine. But what we see in these passages is justification by faith alone, that we are made right, righteous by Christ, by faith in Christ and what he's done. Paul's response to those who were criticizing him because of these freedoms in Christ that he was proclaiming. His response to that criticism, and then this beautiful, and I I really do want to get to this, our union with Christ, what that means. How that then affects us. How then shall we live? So important, so critical. Because we don't just take the gospel and hold it. We don't put a basket over our light. We're ambassadors handpicked by God for salvation, sanctification, and and, and glorification eventually. And in the meantime, proclaiming this incredible word. And then why legalism is so severe. So that's where we're going to go today. This is our ideas that we're going to hit today. Great quote I saw from Dr. Andy Woods. And I love this quote because it helps us to understand the focus of Galatians chapter 15, or Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 21. He says this, Many people believe that verses 15 through 21 represent the high point of the entire letter. Maybe. Just his opinion. Had it not been for verses 15 through 21 in this chapter, in our Bible, and on this page, had the Holy Spirit not used these words to work in the hearts of the church reformers, or words many much like it in Romans, I would add to that, the Protestant church likely would not exist. If you think about it, had God not given us his word, had God not given us his inspired eternal word, that, that when people actually read it, when they actually studied it, and it wasn't held from them by the church, it wasn't, it wasn't distracted from, it wasn't twisted and distorted, when they finally read it, when someone like Martin Luther and John Calvin finally read it, it made a change in their life that lasted forever. And you say, well, let's hear about some of these guys. Well, here's Martin Luther again. Look at what he says about Galatians. The epistle of the Galatians is my own epistle. He took He took it captive for himself. I have betrothed myself to it. He says, it is my Katie Von Bora. That's his wife's name. Just think about that. And and I I know you, you men out there who have godly wives, they want a man who holds this word and betrothes it to themselves. They want you to love this and this God of ours more than them. And if you do, you'll be a great husband. If you do, you'll be an amazing husband because you betrothed yourself to it. What does John Calvin say about this letter and the concept of justification? Justification by faith is the hinge on which all true religion turns. It's that critical. So do you think the Reformers thought this was an important passage? I would say, oh yes. Definitively, yes, they did. So as we consider this and we consider what these men thought, let's look at Galatians 2, 15 through 21, and I'll read it through. And then we'll break it down. Galatians 2, 15 through 21, coming off of this incredible and epic confrontation between Peter and Paul, and this is a continuation of it, a defense of why, the doctrine that backs up why he he challenged Peter in this way. Here's what he says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Hmm. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. May it never be. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. First hour, we heard that. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose, for nothing. Ooh, that's heavy. So let's break down verse 15, first of all. Let me reread that to you. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That sounds like heavy language there. Jews versus Gentiles, putting something, pitting things between us here. Here's what it says in the text. ESV says, Gentile sinners, Jews by birth. The NASB says Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Now you might be thinking that, boy, Paul, you just got done saying that and and arguing with Peter that, that you can't do this. You can't put a burden. There's no difference that God sees no difference between the two. Well, here's what this really means. The Jewish people were given the law, weren't they? Mm -hmm. They had the word of God. It came through them. God sovereignly chose that nation through Abraham and on, giving them covenants and his word. And as we study this, and we've talked about this so many times here, we do not unhitch from the Old Testament. It's divine and it's eternal and it will last forever, just as the New Testament will. And as we think about that, they had that. The Gentiles were unknowledgeable about it. They didn't have access to it. It was unknown to them. And it was part of the Jewish national history. That's, that's what Paul's trying to say here. We've had this. It was there. How often did Jesus come after the leaders in the Jewish community and say, you guys should have known better. You're the, Jewish, you're the leaders of these people. And he held them condemned because of it. They should have known. And then what about these Gentile sinners? This is simply what, what we would say is a contrast, a biblical contrast, the advantage that Jews had that the Gentiles did not have with regards to their access to the written word. MacArthur states this about this, that this term is used in the legal sense. Since Gentiles were sinners by nature, as we all are, because they had not received the the written divine law of God. They didn't have access to it. And of course, this doesn't help hurt us too much as we consider this, because we know what Romans 10 says, right? We're not hurt by a statement like this because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know. If you're in Christ, you know. You know how you got saved, as we'll, we'll go through today. But you know if you're in Christ that somebody told you. You heard it from the Word of God. They quoted Scripture to you. They explained it to you. They, you understood what Christ did in the sacrifice and his, his incredible victory over death. You heard all of that. That came by hearing, and it came by the Word of God. So we needed access to that in order to be saved. We know how God draws people to himself. He does it through his word. So not a surprise, not an offense. But let's look at these Judaizers first. Romans 10, 1 through 3 says this. Paul writing, in this light, I just quoted from Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Who's the they here? He's talking about Jewish people. 
His people, he's one of them. We're going to see in the very next slide. He's connecting himself to it. He has a desire for them to be saved. They have the word of God, but they're missing it. Notice what he says. There's some some words here that are going to be key as we go forward. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Oh, they've got a great zeal for God. Right? You know how that worked out. We've gone through the life of Christ here. And Christ articulating, going through, and how he argued against these Pharisees, the Sadducees that had it all wrong, but they thought they had it all right. They had a great zeal, but not according to knowledge. True knowledge. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's also the beginning of knowledge. True knowledge. Not worldly knowledge. Notice this. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God. I want you to focus on that. Ignorant of the righteousness of God. They were not ignorant of God's word. They had it. They were ignorant of what it meant. They were ignorant of the true information that was there. They were ignorant because their own hearts got in the way. Look at why. And seeking to establish their own. Their own what? Righteousness. In their own way. All the additional rules. The the man-made tradition. And let me just pause here. We're not here yet, but we're getting there. Do you have some? Do you have a few? Man-made laws, man-made things that are getting in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we, as I sit here preaching to you, do I lay something, a burden on someone that is not necessary for the gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate their life? How they wear, what they wear, what they look like, where they go, what church they attend? I don't know. What do we do there? We need to be careful. We don't want to establish some righteousness of our own. Remember, our boast is in Christ and Him alone. They did not submit to God's righteousness. His way, which has been established from the Old Testament to the New. Nothing new. This is not rewriting the book. It's explaining the book. That's what we're dealing with here. What does Paul say about himself? Paul says this. He doesn't just point the finger. He says, me too. Look at this. The context of this passage is he is dressing Judaizers again. Those who are professing believers who are attaching Jewish law, Jewish ceremonial law, tradition to the gospel, trying to burden people with it. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's speaking of his ability to be a great Pharisee. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he's given his stats a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, taught by Gamaliel, we know. The man amongst men, as to zeal, he just uses the same word again. Remember, we just saw that in the previous slide. Zeal, they got it. He had it too. As for zeal, a persecutor of the church. I, loved, I thought I loved God so much, I thought that this blasphemy, I was going to go after it, and I was going to go after it with all I had to the point of violence. That's how much zeal I had. But look at what this, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I'm going to go back a slide again. Hmm. He had, his, he had his righteousness, but what did he not have? God's righteousness. He didn't submit to that. He submitted to his own. Boy, there's a danger in the human heart for this. People who are never, ever going to don the, the doors of a church, many of them have satisfied their own conscience to believe that they are good enough. And Why? They're man-made law. They're man-made rule. I'm better than that guy. I've done these good things. I think the balance is in my favor. What a dangerous game to play. What a dangerous game to play. Some have said that the the most dangerous statement that can be made by any so-called Christian 
is, is this, that Jesus is a way to salvation. Jesus is a way. He's a truth and he's a life. That's a dangerous way to think, believe, and state because that's not true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. It can't be our righteousness, no matter how zealous it is. No, how, no matter how good you look, it can't be that. Well, what about these Gentile sinners? Ephesians 2, 11 through 12 says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, Jews versus Gentiles, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. That's what these Gentile sinners are. They didn't know because they didn't have the word. They didn't have the hope. They didn't have the promise. Oh, what a blessed time we live in when we have the full, complete, and, and, and perfect Word of God in front of us to study every day. And although this is not part of my sermon today, I, I just feel compelled to tell you, do you know how special that book that's in front of you and in, on, in your lap is? Is it so special that it's how you start your day or end your day? Is it so special that that's what you lean on, dive into, dig into when things go get tough or when things are great? Right? Is it your life? Is he your life? Is the living word of God, Jesus Christ, your life? That's what they didn't have and you do. You didn't, they didn't have it. You do now. What a great time to be a Gentile when we know this and have this. They had no hope and without God in the world. Now let's look at that contrast between these two, Romans 9. If you're moving around with me, you might. Romans 9, look at the contrast. Paul speaking of Israel's unbelief. And remember, his love for Israel, we've already heard it. He's reminding the reader, you and me, that, that, those who receive, that there's going to be judgment because of our sin. Every man's sin. Mine, first, first of all, but all of ours. We take this personally when we read God's Word. That judgment is coming. And, it's, and, and judgment's coming and there's something that needs to be done. But look at the contrast. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. That Jews couldn't, but Gentiles can. But that Israel who pursued the law, who lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law? And he said, is, is it just now God's choosing Gentiles over Jews? Is, 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 is that, does that seem fair? And think the prodigal son parable. There's a lot of Jews that had a real problem with the Gentiles coming in because all this time they're trying to pursue the law. They're trying to be righteous in their own eyes and what they think is in God's eyes. And how could these Gentiles who have never done anything and never followed these strict laws, how could they possibly be brought in? But he gives an answer to this. Well, why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. It's as simple as that. They pursued it by their own will, their own, their own energy, their own strength, their own grit. That we honor in this country, don't we? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Get this done. You can do it. You pursue it by faith. That's what they didn't do. But as we're based but it was based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Predicted, Isaiah 8, 14, combined with 28, 16. Behold, I am laying in a, Zion, a, stumble, Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's for the Jews. That's a stumbling block. It's tough. Saved by grace through faith. I can't do it myself. That's tough. So let's look at justification. Verse 16. Let me read it again. 2.16. Here's what it says, if you're back there. 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. 
and by the works of the and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one can be justified. Let's see who's that that includes. Everybody. No one can be justified by their works. Not a single one of us. We cannot do this. As we consider John 3:16 that everybody knows. It's Well, I don't know if they do it anymore, but for years it was behind the goalpost. Everybody sees John 3.16. Tim Tebow puts it on his eye paint. I mean, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody knows that. But they stop, don't they? Well, that's good. I read that one. What about 17? What about 18? God didn't send his son to condemn the world. We know that. But in order that the world might be saved through him. But then if they stop there, that's not enough either. What's John 8? John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But this is a critical piece. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. See, we can't deliver the gospel message if we only talk about heaven. If we only talk about being saved, about bliss. See, the gospel message is good news because there's already bad news that you and I are responsible for. This is not God that did this. This is you and I that did this. We are the bad news. We're walking bad news. We ooze with bad news because in ourselves, we are doomed. We are doomed. Let me finish John 3.18. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Back to John's purpose of writing his book. Remember from John 20, verse 30 and 31. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John intentionally says only, only Son of God. So as we look at justification by faith, we need to break this down. We think about this. Martin Luther says, if justification, speaking of this, if it is lost, all true doctrine is lost. If we don't understand justification, we don't understand true doctrine, and we don't really have a church. If we don't process and understand what that really means. So let's take a look at this. This is the passage. What it tells us very distinctly are these two points. A person cannot be justified by the works of the law. Cannot. Cannot. And a person can only be justified by faith in Christ. If you think you're repeating yourself a lot, you are right. That's what good teachers do. I'm going to repeat myself. Cannot and can only. Underlined, bolded. Cannot, can only. And for you believers out there, we got to keep this resonating within our souls as we're always ready to give a defense for the hope that we have within us. That it's exclusive, we don't compromise on it. We're in a, we're in a world, and if, if you went through my Sunday school series with me, we're in a world of compromise. Just get along, just be kind, just give in, don't offend people. Folks, with gentleness, respect, and love, you are in the business of offense. The cross is an offense, we just saw it a stumbling block for people. We can't lose this. We can't have this. So can you justify yourself according to the Old Testament? Job thinks not. Look at what he says. Job answered and said, truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? Great question. How can I do it? If one wishes to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. Can you really? Have you ever thought about this? And by the way, you should, because all of us will face him. Are you going to be able to say, you know, I, I'm going to come into your kingdom because of this, 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 this? Your answer is one word. You point right back at him if you're in Christ. Why can you come? 
Now, this isn't a conversation. He's not going to, you don't have to get the right answer. Your right answer is decided here in the living years. But you think that your own righteousness is going to do this? Do you believe that? Can you contend with him? Can you defend your life? Can I? Can you defend yourself even for this morning's sins? Can I? No. Verse 20, skipping down, though I am in the right my own, and with my own mouth. What do I say? My own eyes, my own heart. My own heart would condemn me. Though I am blameless in my view, he would prove me perverse. Whew. Crooked. Crooked. Keep that in your head as we go forward. What does the psalmist say? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, key here, his righteousness, enter into judgment with, with your servant. You would only say that, by the way, if you believe he's redeemed you, if you believe that righteousness comes through him, if you believe you are blameless in his sight because of the blood of Christ. It's the only way you'd say that. For no one living is righteous before you. Hmm. Back to that pretty exclusive class. All of us are in this. All of us are in this. So let's look at justification. Let's look at this and what this really means. It's a verdict. Justification is a verdict. It's a legal term. And what does that mean? God no longer holds your sin against you. You've been made right. You've been made righteous. He has declared you righteous and not guilty. You stand guilty. Pastor prayed that this morning. He mentioned that in Psalm 36. You stand guilty. You are guilty. Well, you require this, and it, we've already seen it's not on your own. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. Forgiveness is the fruit of justification. It's the fruit of it. What a great feeling that is. And any of you who have been justified, who have who've received that redemption, you feel it. The forgiveness of sins, that weight has been lifted. And that substitutionary death of Christ, that incredible imputation of his righteousness is the basis for it. Heavy stuff. That's what justification really is. Well, you think, well, there must be other passages about this. That's true. There is. Before we get to them, let's see what John has to say. Johnny Mac usually has some good stuff to say about this, and I loved this quote. Just worked right in with the passage. Here's what he says about this. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. I said that earlier. Condemnation says you're guilty. Justification says you're not guilty. Condemnation says you're evil. Justification says you're righteous. Condemnation says you're bad. Justification says you're good. It's a legal term. It's a law court term. To condemn someone is to declare them guilty. To justify someone is to declare them not guilty. And in the Bible, justification is God's free, gracious act by which he declares a sinner not guilty forgiving and pardoning that sinner and accepting him into fellowship. That is the foundation of true religion. Hmm, we heard that already. We've already heard that from another great. True religion. This is where it starts. It pivots on it, right? According to Calvin, Christianity and the gospel. This is how essential justification is. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you sinners out there, I'm, I'm with you, I'm preaching to myself, you need it. You don't just need it, you're desperate for it. You eternally require it. This is where we stand, and what a, an important thing. So let's look at some of this. Jesus speaks of his, his position here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John just hitting us over and over in his gospel. He does not come into what? Judgment. It's coming your way. It's coming my way. 
but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's really coming home with it. An hour is coming is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Two ways to look at that. There is an Ephesians 2 element to this, that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead men can't do anything. That you're on your path to destruction, just like the rest of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, you are following Satan, whether you realize it or not. But then, of course, Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God, rich in mercy, right? There is something that makes you alive that is not within you. It's not in yourself. It's in, of the, it's in the Lord. There's that element, that spiritual element, but man, there's a reality that for the believer, we will rise. Many of you know my brother-in-law just passed away. Great man of God. Imperfect, though, as he would say if he could. Imperfect in every way, as he would say if he could. Missing the mark in every way, as he, he would say if he could. But he's in glory today, and I can tell you why. It's because he did this. Hears God's word and believes in him who sent him. He believed it. He repented and he believed. He accepted that. Grace by faith in Christ alone. Not in himself. And he is going to be resurrected. I considered my father earlier on. Had to deliver his sermon at his, his funeral. But I did it with hope. I was able to do that because I know. I'm certain. Dave Kronbacher this morning in, in, in uh, Sunday school mentioned that over and over and over again, in 1 John, John brings up to know. I know it. I'm certain of it. He Today, he even mentioned, added, I have confidence in it. I want you to have that. I want you to have that. It doesn't come from me. It's not going to come from my words. But when you hear the word of God read to you, and it stirs in your heart, and you know this is you, you're condemned. Judgment's coming your way. Are you hearing his voice? Are you listening? See, as sheep do, he's going to draw you to himself. You're going to listen, and you need to respond. Don't fall into verse 18, because you did not believe in the only Son of God. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to life in himself. Notice the authority given to Christ, verse 27. He has given him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he's the Son of Man, taking us back to Daniel and that exchange The Almighty, the Ancient of Days, giving authority to the Son of Man. Christ intentionally uses that term to let you know who He is. Justification by faith, continuing in Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Indeed, I count everything as lost. He's not talking about stuff. He's talking about His Jewish laws, His self-righteousness that He believed was His because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Certainly, physical things, but he's talking about his self-made, self-righteousness religion and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him having not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. That which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God. He knows him and God God knows Paul. That's the idea here. And we think of this knowing, gnosius, experiential, personal knowing. Not just I know of you, I know you. That experience Mary had at the tomb. She thought Jesus was the gardener. Until when? He said Mary. He knew her and she knew his voice. Gets me every time. Knew her and he knew her and she knew him. 
that personal, I love him, he loves me. Because my, her righteousness came through faith in that man too. That God man too. What does Spurgeon say about this? Saving faith is an immediate relation to Christ. Immediate. Saving faith is immediate. Doesn't, you don't have to keep getting saved every day. Sanctification is a different animal. Justification is a one-time deal. God doesn't need multiple tries at it. Oh, that one didn't stick. I'm going to try to give you some grace today. Oh, I missed. He doesn't miss. He doesn't miss one of you. It's immediate relation to Christ. Accepting, receiving, resting upon him alone for justification to be made right so I'm not guilty. Sanctification and eternal life by virtue of what? God's grace. So I think he's considering this. I like to say that every once in a while, don't I? I think so-and-so's thinking about that. I know he's thinking about the word of God, so I'm safe. But I think he's thinking this. By now, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We're not throwing it out. We don't throw it out. Oh, it's important. It shows us he always knew, he always will know, he predicted it, he lived it, he fulfilled it. He's letting you know you're missing the mark. The law shows us we need a Savior. The righteousness of God, we see it again, imputed through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Yet another connection to what we heard this morning. The mercy seat is the derivative of the Hebrew from this. Then you need it. Man, your sin and God's holiness, there is a vast separation. There is a vast separation. Remember how crooked and worthless and unworthy we are, as Job and David made mention. And Paul is making mention. You need some propitiation. You need someone to satisfy that offense to God's holiness. You need somebody to satisfy that wrath of God. That's what that means. That mercy seat, so critical. And then notice what he says. By his blood to receive by faith. This, is, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. And then finally here, all this from God in, in 2 Corinthians. I used this a few weeks ago on Wednesday. Through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's that reconciliation? Well, you're an enemy of him. You're in oppos- you stand in opposition to God as an, unredeemed, as an unredeemed human, man or woman. You may not realize it, but you do. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself So sinners, this reconciliation, the believer goes from being alienated to being part of the family. To being an enemy of God to being a son or a daughter of God. Heavy stuff. From being guilty to innocent, and it's not in yourself. That's the reconciliation we have. The world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I also taught on this a few weeks back. You are ambassadors. It has been given to you. We have this message to deliver to the world. They may not know they're an enemy. They may not know that they're in sin. They may not realize that they need justification. They may not understand that God's righteousness is perfect and his justice is just as perfect. They may not know that judgment is coming, but it is your job to tell them. It's your message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making the appeal through us We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so, 
as I think about this today, I implore you to be reconciled to God. I'm going to do what he's telling me to do. Because what I want for you is verse 21. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look at this again. Verse, the end of, end of verse 20. He's making appeal through me. I'm going to take it personal right now. I'm, he's making an appeal through me to you if you're unsaved. If you've never embraced this. If you haven't believed. And for you who have and have never told anybody. He's making an appeal through us as believers. We implore you as strong as I can and as Paul can to consider who you are and who he is. To consider what we've just learned about your sin and mine. Justification that is required in order for eternal life now and in the future. True life. He's making his appeal through us and I implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. That's what I'm telling you today. Be reconciled to God because I want 21 for you. Look at how we finish today. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Put yourself in that. For your sake, your sin. Put yourself in it. For my sake, he made him, Jesus Christ, perfect in every way. Didn't grasp on, hold on to the divine nature, the div- excuse me, the divine position that he had at the right hand of the Father. He humbled himself and became a man. He became sin for you, taking your sin on. He knew no sin, yet he took yours so that in him, in Jesus Christ, the God-man, God incarnate in the flesh, we might become the righteousness of God. You need it. I need it. The love we heard about in the first hour, that's it. I wish you were all here. Listen to it. He did a great job. The love that Jesus showed to you is right here. Would you do that? Would I do that? He did it. And now he's making his appeal through us. So I pray today is your day if it's not been. And if, it, if you've been in Christ a long time, I pray that you're that ambassador. He's going to make an appeal to, through you this week. He's going to give you some chances. I'm going to pray for that. So be ready. He's going to give you some chances. I'm going to pray for those who don't know and those who do. Be ready. God listens to prayers that are part of his will. And here's what I know. His will is for people to be saved. And his will is for you to take that message to him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. What an incredible God you are and an incredible message. As expected. Can't get through justification in one day. Heavy duty stuff. We love you because you first loved us. We love you because of what you've done. We love you because of your son. We love you because you were pleased to crush him for us. We love you because you have justified those of us who are in Christ. But I do pray for those here who are still struggling, still fighting you, still resisting, trying to repel that urge, that conviction. I pray that they let it go. That by faith in you and your son alone, that they repent of their sins, that they receive this incredible grace, that you save them. This is all in you. You must do this, and we pray for it. And for those here who do know you and have for so long, I pray for opportunities. I pray for that soil to be ready and right. I pray that they have good, strong arms to throw that seed, that they're prepared to give an answer. They're prepared to to deliver to them the pure gospel, not complicated. That they're ready, and some can be saved through your word this week. 
that they are the beautiful feet that bring the good news. I pray for that. Give opportunities to this flock this week. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.